Hello and welcome to Mobile Interactions Now, the podcast where industry pros share first-hand experiences on making mobile interactions work. I'm Chris and I'm part of the team here at Tentech. On today's episode, we have the conclusion of our conversation with Shane Snow. So here is part two of our conversation with Shane Snow. Take it away, Gene. Welcome back to show, Shane. In our previous episode, we started talking about what lessons we can draw from some of the most successful remote teams. And in this episode, I would like to delve a little bit deeper into some of specific tips and tools that organizations can use to you know, make this all remote teamwork work better. You know, many things we talked about and we can perhaps try to bring together. It appears that many companies are really struggling. What communications and collaboration tools to allow for whom? Like, you know, along with some of the security issues that we talked about. So in this COVID-19 coronavirus reality uh, we are living in right now, would you recommend them to actually think about it differently? We, we briefly talk about this whole balance to think about, but what are some of the actions like how, where they can get started um, to get ourselves prepared a little bit better for this? Yeah. So there's a few things just from a setting yourself up for success first as an individual remote worker and second as a team. And a lot of upfront decisions can make a big difference. The first one that that hopefully is is pretty intuitive, but I think more important than people think is everyone who's working from home needs to carve out a workspace where this is where they get their work done. And it should be a place that's comfortable, that has good lighting so they don't get depressed and so they can do good video calls but where this is when they're in work mode and establishing a personal ritual around that, um, I think is extremely important. It's kind of like if you have insomnia, the doctor will often recommend that you only use your bed for sleep because if you watch TV in bed, if you're in a habit of reading in bed, if you eat dinner in bed or clip your toenails or something disgusting like that, then your bed is not just used for sleep. And Part of what's so hard about insomnia is if you can't sleep, then you start worrying about not being able to sleep and that makes it worse. And so if your bed is only used for sleep, then you have an evening ritual where you get your brain in the mode for, okay, it's, this is going to be sleep time and you do whatever other treatments you have that sets you up for success. Same thing with work, having a ritual where I'm going to start work at the time that I'm going to start, I have a place that this is just what I use for work. And, uh, and for, for me, I even have some other kind of silly rituals. I have a, a lucky coyote figurine that I always put on my laptop when it's time to work. Um, and he's, he's always there as kind of my, my just little token, um, whatever superstition you need, but that's really important. And part of this plays into, I think, work style, figuring out when you do your best work, when you do your best thinking, when you need for the work that you need to accomplish, when you need uninterrupted time for, for accomplishing tasks and when the best times to communicate with you are. And this leads into, I think, the team setup, some equivalents of these two things, so the setting and, uh, and the communication awareness that you can, you can create guidelines around how best to work with each other, understanding everyone else on your team's uh, 
times when they work best and uh, and when's best to communicate with them and also understanding the kind of work they need to do when's okay to interrupt and when's okay not to interrupt now in an office you can look over and see if someone's really busy and decide not to bother them with something when you're working remotely if you call someone up you don't know uh if they're in the middle of something really important, whether it's, you know, their, their kid has a, an issue or, you know, they're in the middle of a client thing or they're a programmer, they're in the middle of a line of code and you just call them up. That can be extremely distracting. So what I think is important is just like you should organize your own communication as a team, you should get down some, I guess, general guidelines for how you'll communicate in a way that doesn't interfere with the individuals on your team's work. And I think the best way to generally think about this is there are things that are emergencies and you need a a way to get a hold of people to absolutely interrupt them. And people need to know that this is the way, if you're calling me on the phone, then it's an emergency, you know, if you haven't asked first or whatever it is, if you send me a text message that says urgent, that's an emergency. And then there's things that, that can wait a little bit, but you really do need an answer uh, pretty soon. And, uh, and you need to, to know that the way that you get a hold of me, if you need something that's just a quick you know, answer to something or you know, whatever it is, it's Slack or it's WhatsApp or it's Microsoft Teams or whatever it is. And, uh, and within that, you know, having a good setup for, you know, if it's about a project, it's in the chat room for the project. It's not in the general marketing channel or the general one-on-one chat. It's in the channel for the project. So we can always find information. So having some guidelines around that, but that allows you take into account each individual's work that they need to do. Um, if you're working with programmers, you cannot expect them to be answering chats all day long because they need to do some hardcore thinking. They need breaks. Um, so, uh, and then there's uh, stuff that can wait, wait a little longer, have a process for that. Maybe again, it is chat, maybe it's email. Um, and then there's real-time conversations. Real-time conversations. So, if you've arranged a time, um, or if it is, if it's an emergency, it's an emergency. But if it's something, you know, how do you arrange a time? Asking people, can do you have time for a conversation? Just generally having some of that etiquette in place that everyone knows and agrees to. That is about inclusivity, allowing people to get the work that they need to done. Um, and then from there, I think what's really important is using the right. Uh, if you're having a meeting or a real-time conversation, using the right general format for what you want to accomplish. And this is something where I can share a tool that uh, that my team made. We we released a, a meeting picker tool, which is basically this little interactive thing. It says, what kind of meeting should we have? And it says, you know, are you trying to solve a problem? Are you trying to, you know, to bond? Are you trying to do something, give or get information? And then, okay, say it's it's get information. Well, you know, how serious is it? How, you know, how private is it? You know, what's the nature of it? And then it says, oh, instead of a meeting, you actually need to request a report or a memo or, you know, instead of a meeting, just, you know, get three people on your chat and, uh, you know, in the project room or, oh, you do need a meeting because you're solving a problem. Well, here's the information you need to make sure that you have people prepared. Don't have the meeting without letting people have time to think and prepare first. Um, so we made this little tool. Um, I can send you the link. It's uh, the link is is actually snow.academy slash remote slash meeting dash picker. No, it's a long, a long thing. Maybe you can include it in the notes. But 
Uh, you can also just look it up on on the Snow Academy site. Uh, but this meeting picker is a is just our way of of helping out a little bit with this free tool. Of one of the things that does become a consideration if you're working together remotely, uh, have a a way whether you're using this tool or not to know when it's a good time to get five people on a video call and work something out and what you need to do beforehand to prepare. So often we, we surprise people and ask them for information. We interrupt people. Uh, you know, we're part of the distraction that makes work hard, but so often we use meetings in particular as a way to force us to find time to think about something. And the time to think about something is the meeting and that is not Guilty. optimal. Yeah. it's not optimal. <laughs> But if you, you decide we need a meeting, we're going to accomplish this in the meeting. Here's the people, the minimum amount of people that, that, you know, that we need. And then we ask them to do the work on their own to prepare so that the meeting can be short and efficient. That makes a huge difference. And this, I think also, you know, we're sort of forced to do this a little bit better when we're remote because we can't just drag people into the meeting room. Hopefully this is the sort of habit that can stick after, you know, when we're back in the office, being more thoughtful about that sort of thing, but not just winging it, saying we have these tools, so I'm going to slack you, I'm going to email you, I'm going to call you I, to get what I need. Um, actually knowing how each other need to work and having a system for how we can get what we need out of each other and minimize the distraction, maximize the, uh, the productivity is not that hard. It just requires the setup, just like setting up a place for you to work. It requires a little setup, but it pays off over and over and over again in little ways. I'm definitely gonna check out <laughs> meeting picker too. That is like that that is really, really, really something I need. Um because because there's no end. Today like I had a back to back meetings and I was like, okay. <laughs> now you're telling me. But it, but let's think about this uh, organizations like um that does not have a snow that does not have mm. this uh, culture of creating meeting picker tool. Yeah. And, and as somebody who still wants to, you know, who thinks in codifying some of these things, you know, so that, that people know the boundaries, people um, start getting the hint what is culturally encouraged or something like this. So how do we, uh, how a organization without snow does this um, in, in terms of, uh, do we need a cheerleader? It's basically, it's like a cultural person who's, who's uh, uh, embodying this, how it, cause I don't, I don't believe in necessarily having a, you know, IT is not gonna uh, uh, provide a rule book in terms of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, who to email and whatnot. It, how best a company to start cultivating these things? I think the best case scenario is when the CEO or the C-suite decide that they want to operate in a way that, uh, that allows people to have boundaries and that uses technology to simplify people's work. Um, and so they create guidelines that, uh, that are customized, allow people to customize the way they wanna work and allow people to simplify the way they wanna work. Um, having that, goal at the top and then exploring the way to put in processes that allow that is so much better than having someone yeah like IT or or HR or, or someone who isn't necessarily even the top boss um, say here is now the checklist and the procedures and the policies that we all have to do 
that are then foisted on everyone. Um, and uh, it, it's sort of like good government versus bad government, right? Good government makes people's lives easier, makes roads that you can drive on quickly and safely. Bad government makes rules that make it so that you can't drive. You know, they put speed bumps all over the road because they're worried about the one person who speeds. Um, so thinking of it that way, and then ideally, I mean, the ideal process is that everyone who's managing anyone spends one-on-one -on -one time with their, their people to understand their challenges, especially when they're working remotely, when they work best, what their work style is. We actually made a, a little tool for this too, a work style tool um, to, uh, to just ask you a bunch of questions about all the little things of your work style and makes a little report that you can, you can share with people. Um, but, uh, but just spending time to understand that and then sending that up to their managers if their manager spends that time with all of, all of the managers and then all the way up so that at the top of an organization, the, uh, the leaders know how, what people are up against, how they're working now, what their needs are, and then they can put together recommendations or systems that allow people to, to do their best work without policies and technologies getting in the way. So it's like the minimum amount uh, to allow people to be flexible, but also to allow them to help each other. So you're, you're trying to minimize negative externalities and maximize uh, productivity and happiness rather than minimize problems of, of you know, of, or nonconformity. You know, um, that's that's the mindset that it takes. So ideally, there's uh, you know, there's you have like a training program that managers are are going through to be able to do this, um, and the leaders are doing this. But if the organization is not going to do that sort of thing, I think anyone who's working closely with their team members can do some of that process themselves. You know, you may have, you know, you have to input things a certain way. You have to use a certain project management system a certain way. But among your colleagues and among your boss, you can figure out the best way to make their lives easier um, and to have boundaries and stick to those. And, uh, you know, and you, you can't deal with outsiders. People outside of your company will email you and will call you and all of that at times that are inconvenient. But within your team, you can uh, you can work together to uh, to make things easier. So. I, I think the good news is there are tools out there. There are resources. Um, there's a really good book called Remote um, by the, the folks who built Basecamp, which is a project management software. They've been working remotely for decades. Uh, I think literally like 17 years. And, uh, and they wrote a book about all their secrets and they will not work for everyone, <clears throat> but there's principles underlying those, uh, the, their advice that you can use to customize. So I mean, I think, this idea that technology should not get in the way, policies and procedures should not get in the way, they should help make people's work easier. And that is going to be coupled with the reality that different people work differently, especially when they're working from home. That's the place to start. And you know, the bad news is, is that it's not a plug and play kind of thing. It does take a little work. The good news is it pays off a lot and it will pay off after people start returning to the office. Let me just uh, think about a little bit on what you just said in terms of it's not going to work for everyone. And, and I totally agree with that. That much is clear. But is, is it some of the uh, functionality uh, more inherently open for these kind of a remote collaboration using these digital tools? And you can even get creative making their own tools. Because I, I work um, in between technology and business a lot. 
And I see literally my developers and, and technology side of people collaborating um, somewhat differently than on mm-hmm. the one side where, you know, marketing and sales people sometimes, although uh, we all kind of uh, um, practice the same process and things like that, but the, the conversations are a little different. I see it like, you know, developers like, Hey, um, something happened. So did somebody already solve this problem? Um, can I copy that? You know, that, that kind of, there's a specific yeah. question that is so easy to answer. It is all problem solving and then just, just quickly going through it. But there's some functionality where it requires you just really getting into the room together. Mm-hmm. And just kind of brainstorming or just exchange, and nothing happens until you are in that room together or something like this. And and just like striking a balance in between this. And is are we better with um, certain technologies and remote arrangement with the certain things and certain things are not? I, I really like this question. I've been thinking about this quite a bit over the last couple of years. So my my last book. Um, in 2018, is called Dream Teams, and it's uh, oh, that's right, you said you you, you read it, yeah. Um, it's about uh, about teamwork in history, and you know the the psychology and neuroscience of how people work together best, and why we often don't work very well together. And what I wanted to do with the book was understand the underlying principles that are universal when human beings collaborate, so that you know you read this, you get the stories, you understand the uh, the principles, and then you can use those to inform how you work in a custom way with other people. And I think the best technologies take a similar approach. The best tools for collaboration, whether you're remote or not, or for communication are the ones that allow for different personalities, different work styles, different people, different cultures to to work in their way while maintaining a way for information to not get lost. So I love uh, Evernote, for example. Evernote, you can use it a million ways. I went to Evernote headquarters and I showed the CEO how I use Evernote for my own personal writing process. You know, I, I clip articles and I make notes and I make checklists and I organize my notebooks. And he says, I've never seen anyone use Evernote like this, but that's the way it is with everyone. The tool is built so that everyone can roll the way that they want to roll. Um, now, Evernote is not, uh, not really built for teams there is sharing stuff and there's some cool stuff there but um you know project management systems like trello that uh that allow for a lot of flexibility three teams can have completely different looking trello boards that's really useful um i think that whatsapp and slack are really good uh, communication tools for that reason for team chat because they just allow for infinite customization so you can set it up or you can use it organically in a way that works for your team. Your team needs to have its own kind of set of of flexible rules in order to make the best use of it, not have things get lost. But those kind of technologies versus really rigid structured things that don't allow for, you know, for edge cases or for people to, to operate how they need to. I think that's the key. And that's what gets me excited about, you know, the future of collaboration and technology, there's a lot of stories in history where people have gotten excited about the latest, greatest technology. And so they use it and it actually makes things harder. One of my favorite stories is the very first 
mass media in history was in the Renaissance when they just got the printing press. So they started printing like gossip newsletters essentially in Italy. And, uh, and what happened is the gossip newsletter printers using the printing press were beaten in the market by the gossip newsletter hand writers who just hand copied newsletters because it was faster. People wanted the gossip faster. They didn't care if it was as pretty. And so, you know, the industry reverted to handwriting, even though they had printing press technology. I think stories like that make it, it clear that uh, that technologies can get in our way. And often the better move is to, you know, revert back to, to less technology. But I think the technologies of the future that are going to be the most helpful are the ones that, that uh, you don't have to do that because they're so flexible. So I think one of the reasons that Zoom, you know, we're recording this over Zoom, one of the reasons that Zoom has taken off as a relatively young company and an enormous publicly traded company now, everyone's using it now. Um, I think one of the reasons it took off so fast, despite there being other video conferencing software out there for many years, is Zoom is so flexible. You can enter the meeting three minutes early. It doesn't say, oh, the meeting hasn't started. You can't do this. Um, there's an error. Um, you can do that. You can, you can enter the meeting three hours early if you want. It doesn't care. It's flexible. If you want to test the meeting, you can do that. You can record audio only if you want. You know, there's all this flexibility and customization that I think allowed uh, a lot of people to use it without needing to know technology and without having to change their work process in order to use it. Where I think a lot of past video technologies for conferencing required you to have a certain kind of TV and a certain kind of webcam and all these, you know, this these metadata inputs that you have to put in to set up a meeting and people have to dial in and you have to be in the right area code and eliminating all of that made it so that the technology is actually very easily adoptable. So that's, I think the underlying principle, uh, flexibility for different styles, but also, you know, and the zoom example is a, is a good analogy, but also allowing people to find information zoom, you can record, you know, any conversation, um, Technologies that are easy to use to search to find past information or to archive things, catalog things, that helps make it possible for people who roll differently to still collaborate and be unified. That leads to my last question or more of a comment, because I was um, starting to wonder because there are just so many cool tools out there. It's just like you have to put it together that then like, well, wait a minute, all these modern tools would would be facing a day where there's this whole digital divide based on this whole global businesses that are like intuitively modern technology savvy versus who are not? Yeah, I mean, it seems likely that the digital divide will get deeper. Um, the thing that gives me comfort on that front is these kinds of tools, this you know, so-called consumerization of the enterprise, making it easier for less tech-enabled or less tech-savvy companies to use technology. You know, the the iPhone made it a lot easier for people that couldn't afford, you know, desktop computers to jump forward, you know, and, and use a lot of apps and technologies, you know, in a lot of remote parts of the world. Um, you know, my my mom cannot figure out how to operate, you know, a printer, but uh, she loves her iPhone and she, you know, she records videos on YouTube now and she can do that. So I think there's an analogy there when it comes to, you know, enterprise tools and, uh, and business tools that yes, the digital divide can get deeper, but the kinds of technologies that provide this flexibility that, that I've been talking about do allow 
you know, companies with less technology advantages uh, to, to partake in the benefits and to use uh, tools that can help them out. In fact, I think skipping forward to some of these newer technologies, rather than being stuck in old ones that work, but that are more rigid, actually may give some of this an advantage, the second wave of you know, enterprise collaboration tools if you jump straight to those, you might actually be able to do work better than your competitors who were early to the tools that are less flexible. And the promise is uh, uh, building on that democratization. The, the basic assumption is that it's more internet pricing. It's not uh, good old legacy pricing. There's just the, yes. the barrier is just too high even to try. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you. In terms of the um, that yeah the divide will always be there, but I think the the barrier is getting lower and lower, and 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 that much I, I, I take comfort. Now, so just before I let you go, and I, we have a, this a little fun we have where you get to be a little more personal now, and so if you're ready to play, I'm going to ask you one last question. Okay. What are the three things you use the most on your phone? All right, let me let me pull my phone up. Okay, I mean the the one that I use the most is uh, in terms of time is boring. It's a white noise app uh, that I sleep to. Uh, it's what is it called? It just says white noise. Um, Relax.io. So it's a uh, maybe we can even hear it over the over the audio. Oh my God, you uh, remind me of the study that was done where they put these people with a completely no white noise-free environment, they went insane or something like this. <laughs> so this is, yeah. this is helping you relax? Yes, uh, so I, I use that, I, I sleep to it, but sometimes I actually work to it, um, like rain. And so there's a train, you can add different sounds. So there's, there's rain and ocean and you know rain on a car window, that sort of thing. To sleep, I put on the train tracks and rain, so it's this sort of hypnotic to da to da and uh, and when I'm working, especially on airplanes, actually, I'm not doing that right now, but on airplanes, I put a noise canceling headphones. I put that on with rain sounds, and it helps me to sort of tune out even further the airplane and feel relaxed. So that's that's the one I use the most. Um, I also, well, let's see, let me let me see what's on the, the homepage. I mean, I use the New York Times app probably the second most. I, I check that a couple times a day. And then every day I use an app called Muse, which is a uh, meditation app. This is a, a pretty nerdy tech thing, but I have this uh, brainwave sensing headband that it's like a hundred and something dollars. And you, you put it on your forehead and behind your ears and, uh, and then you fire up this meditation app and it does what's called neurofeedback training, which basically you meditate, you, you count your breaths or you do whatever meditation. And when your brain starts to wander, then it gives you a little cue. And so then you can get back to, uh, to where you are. So it helps you sort of with ADD and distraction and, you know, and, and mindfulness. Um, so it's also rain sounds. But uh, when you're meditating and things are great, it's sort of calm and peaceful nature sounds and birds chirping. And then as your brain starts wandering, the rainstorm starts and then it gets really heavy. And if you're really just actively thinking about something, it's thunder and lightning. And that cues you to get back to, it's a little anxiety provoking when you get to the thunder and lightning, but it cues you to get back uh, to your state. So a lot of times with meditation, you know, 
you your mind wanders and you don't realize until a minute's gone by. So this helps you realize like that second and then you can kind of go back. So that's that's the third app I use every day. The other ones I use, I use Reddit and um, you know, Shazam a lot when I'm out and about. Um, but those are those are my main ones. Awesome. It's simply awesome. I thought we'd be talking about uh, working remotely and we end up talking about even on top of that, how to cope with this situation. With, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot, a lot of hints there is, is really helping me at least. So oh, with good. that, I would like to thank you very, very, very much, Shane. And I hope to, if, if there's any, I know you mentioned uh, your academy, if there's anything else you want the listeners to check out what you will be doing, and that would be awesome. Yeah, well, thank you so much. So snow.academy is the website with uh, with the training courses around teamwork and around remote work, and uh, and there's free tools there as well, like the meeting picker and the work style thing. So I'd love if anyone listening to this, check that out, um, share the free tools with your friends, your colleagues, help them work a little better. And then Contently is uh, is the company that uh, that we know each other through. That's uh, that's for content marketing. There's a really great blog about uh, working with freelancers, uh, which has great remote work tips. And uh, and Contently also has a great blog and tools about content marketing as well. So those would be the places I'd, I'd send people to. Thank you again to Shane Snow for joining us. You can find out more about Shane and order his books at shanesnow.com. You can also learn more about Contently at Contently.com. To find out more about Gene and Tentech, visit Tentech.com. Make sure to search for Mobile Interactions Now in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Tentech, thanks for listening.